I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. We use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm director of the Fifth Element. I highlight the Fifth Element hip hop, which is knowledge. And welcome to Grinding in the Gibby. <laughs> Pharrell do it so high pitched. You know Pharrell. Pharrell's, Pharrell's got these inflections that he pulls out. He hits his little falsetto. You know he's got to have the falsetto. You were singing along to him, and you got to kind of, you got to, you got to tuck up everything, and just you know, otherwise you can't, you can't just prepare talk. for it. No bass in your voice when you're singing Pharrell. Just, just just be prepared for it. Hi, Ben. How's your week been? And what have been this to this week? I've had a good week, man. I've had a really good week. This week I got into uh, Big Crit, Digital Roses Don't Die. I think that um, South Side of the Moon kind of unlocked this album for me. Uh, I, it has this like traditional trunk rattling production that Big Crit is really famous for. And it's stuck wonderfully behind a really slow southern grind. And I think thus far in his career... The textures he's introduced have been firmly rooted in rattling your eardrums, but on this record, I feel he's beginning a triumphant march towards something a little bit more understated, and that sounds weird, a triumphant march towards understatement, but there's just a calmer energy about Big Crit at this stage, and rappers from Mississippi is not a large list, man. Afro Man, David Banner, Ray Shremid, Soldier Boy, Rick Ross, and out of all of those, I could solidly only really say David Banner reps Mississippi strongly. And there's a lot of strong links production-wise on Digital Roses Don't Die, in my view, to The House Is Burning by Isaiah Shad. It feels like the warm southern R&B energy that artists are beginning to incorporate into albums, not as asides or flourishes, but as aesthetic directions. And Crip produces 65% of this tape himself, uh which is a, he does it alone no co-production which is incredibly close to his career average across all projects crit has produced 68 percent of his songs alone and when it comes to studio albums he's really inconsistent with this number so 50 percent of forever is a mighty long time 60 percent of catalactica zero percent of crit is here 100 percent of life from the underground I don't think it's a hot take to say that Big Crit performs best on his own beats, partly because his vocals are so deft and smooth. He has the kind of voice you'd happily hear read you Wikipedia entries about data collection, but without the right backdrop, he seems to lose focus. On here, just about everything except Come Out to Play hits for me. Even So Cool, which I was pretty met on before the album, it falls into that rare category of you could put it on in the background and, and let it stretch its legs while you do other things, or you can put it on in the headphones and just get lost in the world that he's creating. Uh, I listened to it on Friday and I just wasn't in the right headspace. Uh, I just didn't enjoy it. I thought it was boring. I listened to it again yesterday while I was doing some work and it fucking opened up to me. And I really do think... I'm gonna I'm gonna live with this album for the rest of 2022 the same way that I did with uh, Zay's album last year. I think it's great. Too Alive by Yeet. 
Man, this, 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 record, mm-hmm. this record bangs. This record bangs. Yeet has been really sprinting up the charts recently. His 2021 album, that was the first time he'd ever charted on the Billboard 200. It landed at number 183. But last week, that was that was last year. Last week, uh, it, jumped from, it jumped to number 58 from 85. And that was the biggest jump for any album in the top 100 that week. Not many albums continue to climb the charts after they drop. And I think it's a testament to... The social media buzz. It reminds me a lot of the the young boy change in sentiment, you know, from being criticized to being loved. And whether it's a meme or, or deadly serious, it, it literally doesn't matter. That's the wild thing. And I think people are getting a bit confused. It's like, is it a meme to like Yeet? Or is it is he actually making good music? It does not matter. You just go to the page, you listen to music, and if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. And Yeet knew that he had eyes on him for this release. People have been watching, and he did not disappoint. Um... I've been uh, I've been running through the votes on the worst influence on on hip hop, and this I'm going to make a really interesting point here. So I asked a question the other day: What is the worst influence on hip hop? Um, and I've been running through the votes and 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 like counting them up. And people say that albums that have no concept or cohesion, but also albums that aren't brave, where every song sounds the same. Now, this is not a phenomenon exclusive to hip hop. Okay, I don't want people to think that these like the young young boy kind of colors. Uh, every song kind of sounds similar. Rock music has its own fucking subgenre for this. It's called post rock. Okay, those artists are uplifted and celebrated for consistency and sound. It's the same with ambient music, with drone music. Reckon Diet, William Basinski, Christopher Willits. Then with post rock, you got Mogwai, Sleep Makes Waves, Pelican. There are so Red Sparrows. It's 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 okay. It's okay. You know, Yeet hits us with a genuine wall of sound, and he doesn't deviate. He keeps the energy up for an entire 62 minutes. Guests pop in for kind of weird cameos, like Young Thung sounds like really odd on here, even though he kind of helped popularize his sound. Gunner sounds just like Yeet does. Uh, Young KO sounds okay. Um, it's just, it feels weird to have guests because it's 62 minutes, so you either really pad it out with guests, or you just keep it totally lean. And, you know, it's not like these guests are sitting down and writing out dissertations to spit over this kind of production. Uh, I like it a lot. I love this album. I, I don't want to hear any criticism of it. It all sounds the same. That's just, go listen to post-rock, man. Like it's, it, it might not be for you. It might not be for you, and that's okay. But if it is for you, then this album is going to fucking slap front to back. Currency and Alchemist, Continuance. You know, normally I come in here and... When currency drops a new tape and and say it's currency tape, go listen to it. But whenever currency and albumers get death, together, and death taxes and currency dropping, currency dropping, bite, 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 bite. I'm not going to do that this week. Uh, whenever these two link up, it's fucking special. Covert Coop it was 11 years ago now, I think, and that's one of the greatest mixtapes of all time. That is an incredible fucking mixtape. Alchemist is 44 and currency is 40, and I feel like these two, the thing with Currency is whenever he gets on an Alchemist beat, and I also feel this way about Alchemist uh, with Currency, whenever Currency gets on an Alchemist beat, he kind of, it's like he just went one goal down in FIFA and he just kind of leans forward. He's like, oh, here we go. Like, you know, you can feel that energy and, and the motivation and the the drive to create something different and, and more just energetic because, you know, Currency can get a little bit sleepy and a little bit rote as you go down. And it's I find it funny that, I'm defending Yeet in the review before this for sounding similar, but currency has been uplifted for the last 10 years for sounding similar. But on the same token, I think the Alchemist, when he gets with currency, it gives him a little bit of an opportunity to experiment because they already have such a, a vibrant history. 
And I feel like Alchemist, when he's with other other rappers that he maybe doesn't work with as often, it's kind of like he has to give them the most Alchemist he can. And Alchemist is incredible and, and very, very consistent. And he just creates beautiful sonic backdrops. But I think on this record, especially on, on songs like Reese's Cup, he really does experiment a little bit more and goes into different textures that I don't normally hear from Alchemist. And I've really appreciated that. I definitely don't think this is as good as Covert Coop, but then I don't really think anything could be as good as that. Um, Carlton Heist was there, uh, another one of theirs. I think that was 2015, 2016. And then obviously Fetty with uh, Freddie Gibbs. I think this is really good. This is this might be one of the best albums of the year. It's certainly the most consistent so far, consistently high quality. This is one of those ones that I'm not going to say, if you like Alchemist, go listen to it. If you don't, don't. I'm going to say go listen to it. If you've never heard Alchemist before, this is a decent start. This is a decent way to get into it. And then you'll go to Covert Coop and you'll be like, holy shit. These guys are amazing together. Finally, Alt J, The Dream. Now, a lot of people didn't really like Relaxo, which is Alt J's uh, most recent LP prior to this, but I never really understood why. You know, people said it was too experimental and it drew them too far away from the inherent listenability of their first two records. But Alt J, to me, has been foremost an experimental act who hits upon melody in the course of their explorations, which is exactly my issue with this album. It feels like listenability was the express goal going into recording, and rather than hitting upon earworms during the course of some sonic experiment, they hit upon sonic experiments during the course of crafting pretty generic alt-rock numbers. Hard Drive Gold might be the worst song OJ has ever released, genuinely. Apparently the song is tongue-in-cheek, that's the band has said that it's it's tongue-in-cheek, but they're far too mysterious lyrically to commit satire or dry humor, you're just gonna assume they're telling it straight, it's just confusing. The hook for this song, give me that gold straight into my hard drive, give me that gold straight into my hard drive, baby. Bro, this is a band whose name is meant to stand for uncertainty in quantum mechanics. And in 2015, they said this, everything to be explained about the song exists within the song. And this is vibrantly not the case seven years on from that statement, because the band had to explain the song. And Old Jay's lyrical content is famously cryptic, but on this album, they do get much more overt. Happier when you're gone is obvious. Walk a mile is obvious. It feels like rather than a sonic theme, Alt-J have tried to root their lyrics in reality and create a theme around lyrical content, which is a departure for them. I think so anyway, at least in my view. It kind of works, but it's hardly a polished entity. It's definitely rough and embryonic. They kind of sound like a slightly out of touch indie rock band playing their first gig, which is totally wild for a group that this is a decade on from their debut album and, and they spent the middle part of last decade being showered with praise. So this was a real disappointment for me. I um I felt like it was a huge, not even a regression. They tried something different and it didn't work for me, old Jay. So that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? Yeah, so uh, got some good stuff actually this week. Um, start off with uh, Katori Walker and Real Consistency. Uh, color 56 uh, first off congratulations guys you spelt color right with the u well done um, but yeah it's a little ep five songs 10 minutes it's not too bad um, i'm not a fan of most of the hooks on here um, they're just a bit uh just uh 
I don't know. Just uh, that, just that, the melodic hooks that you hear. It's just yeah, no, it, it just didn't work for me personally. But um, you know, past that, they were fine. Um, it, um, you know, it's, it's, it's solid. Um, I'm just a fan of Katori Walk to be honest. But um, you know, it's 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 okay. It's fine. It's fine. It's it's it's, it's ten minutes. You won't lose much of life. Uh, Amaria BB, uh, all caps. What's done in the dock? So this is very um, <laughs> since you since you you know made the the you know, post-rock kind of uh, lean. Um, this is very of the same of the same of the same. Um, but not uh, not in a bad way. Because, like, this has basically got that uh, R&B trap tinged with a bit of Afrobeat uh, mixed in. So there's a little bit of a mixing pot in terms of the production. But, uh, you know, and, and, the, and her subject matter is very samey where it's like, uh, it's just basically just relationship stuff in some way um you know cheaters secrets take it slow motion right you know the titles are very easy to gather what um what she wants what she wants to give you from this uh, particular project um so yeah if you're into that kind of thing if you're into those kind of vibes um and mario bb definitely to spin uh super helpful kwame letters to fatima um about nine minutes four tracks uh actually has um uh, uh, production three of the four tracks uh, from Nascent. Um, he's obviously worked with the likes of uh, Scissor. And um, yeah, apart from that, it's a yeah, solid project. I don't mind me some super helpful Kwame. Um, one thing I will say, you you need to chill and send me emails, bro. You sent me like five of the exact same emails <laughs> like several times. I get it. You have an EP drop in, it's fine. Cool. Just stop sending me the same email six times over a week. Like, it's mad. Uh, currency, Alchemist, Continuance. I feel bad because I'm just like. It's currency and alchemist, like you know exactly what you're gonna get, right? So I feel like so if I'm like trying to, yeah, because I, I I don't want to talk about it as if like I, nobody's ever heard of currency or alchemist. Like it's alchemist production, is currency lyrics. Like I don't know what else to tell you. Like if you know you like currency and or alchemist, you're fine, you're good. So yeah, put simply, it's just yeah, solid. It's this uh, super solid project. Uh. <laughs> I'm surprised. No, I don't. I don't know if anybody caught this this week. I, I really don't know. But I'm so glad I found it. I know Ben didn't catch it because he didn't put it on his team. Uh, but I'm I'm glad I found this. Clyde Guevara, Guevara, and DJ Drama Gangster Grizzles. Oh, Mr. Four eighty six Columbia Street. Yeah, man, Gangster Grizzles is back. Um, and yeah, this is solid. Um, you know, fat just chunky chunky bass uh dj drama beats you know the steez um i've been into kai Guevara for a minute um ever since his uh project free jar from uh 2018 he had this song called distorted skylines that came out the year before and it was part of the album absolutely outstanding track i really th i think i put it in one of my uh so songs this so I, I hope i did because it was that good um so yeah that's that's the only reason i caught it um <laughs> as a uh, of Clyde Guevara, funny enough, um, but past that, yeah, it's a solid, uh, solid little album. Uh, Twenty, excuse me, twenty-three minutes and nine songs. Um, I will say that um, it takes a minute for Guevara to, you know, just find stride and kind of like catch up to the how momentous the beats can get. Um, he kind of just gets, uh, he kind of just blends in for me in the first few tracks, but uh, once it gets to I think Agent Zero, if I remember correctly, or Deep Mob, um, it gets, uh, he he just gets better, he gets more comfortable. You start to hear him more, he sounds more prevalent um, lyrically, 
Um, there's one track in particular. I, I, I forget which one because I was walking the dog at the time. But um, uh, this is one. This is one song where he just goes over it, and the flow is just silly. Like he's just absolutely skating on it. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, but yeah, man. Gangster Grizzlies. I just like saying that to be honest. Uh, big crit. Did the roses don't die? Um, I like the first listen to this. Um, I think the first like few tracks, I was just a bit like, okay, right. Don't know where we're going with this, but okay. But you know, after the Earth interlude, I feel like um, I feel like it just got better for me personally. I feel like it was it just it just got better and better um, as as the project went on, and I think um. You know, I think that if if you're gonna if it's gonna be that way or the other way, I feel like this way is better. Um, so, and uh, you can maybe catch up to if you play it a couple more times, like you said. Um, I'm I'm sure it'll definitely grow on some people. And uh, yeah, so I'm 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 kind of a I'm kind of not lukewarm on it, but I'm 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 warm on it. I'm warm on it. I like I'm 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 rating it. Um, it's definitely better than you know the previous album he did. Um, which was uh, blah blah. Get that up right quick. Uh, ret- no, not Return of Forever. No, no, no. Uh, oh, he posted all the mixtapes again, didn't he? Oh, yeah, Crit is here. Yeah, I remember that one. Uh, we didn't really rate that one, but um, yeah, this, this is decent. I can I can see myself liking this over a few more listens, definitely. Uh, that's for sure. So shout out to Big Crit. And lastly, Texas um, uh, Crangbin and Leon Bridges, Texas Moon. Um, I was so hyped for this project. I love me some Crangbin. Uh, when I when I got put onto Mordecai. Pop that straight on my album list that year. Definitely top ten. I think it was number six. Um, just super airy. Uh, just yeah, just the echoey uh, uh, guitars and oh, it's just so beautiful. And uh, you can imagine, as also a fan of Leon Bridges, you're just like, oh well, match made in heaven, right? Um, my only cri- criticism towards this is that it is a freaking EP. I thought this shit was gonna be at least like half an hour. Uh, but it's only not, uh, five songs, 22 minutes, which is fine. It's good. It's definitely, it'll pro- most likely be on my EP list. I wouldn't be surprised, right? Um, you know, d- uh, B-Side, uh, Mariella, Chocolate Hills, Bangers. Um, but damn, man, I thought it was just going to be more. I was, I, was, <laughs> I was expecting a full meal. I was expecting to be like, oh, damn, albumless contender. Duh, 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 you know what I mean? Just like, raise the alarm. Um, but, you know, EP list ain't bad either. So, you know, I can't complain. But yeah, man. I need more. I need. I definitely need more. This is. This. This got. It's got my appetite going. I need some more Leon Bridges, more Crangbin, uh, definitely. Uh, so yeah. And uh, shout out to Luke, who, um, at the request of him, I have put the uh, names of these projects um, on the full description. So if you want to go peep for yourselves, and you can't be asked to rewind ten seconds, then um, there you are. It's all in the full show notes. And with that said, we shall hop into our topic of this episode which is all about the bros from virginia beach the thornton brothers aka clips or more more famously known as clips um so yeah man i'm i've i've, I've i'm not really i've never you know i've if you've listened to this podcast before you know i've roasted grinding um consistently um and as cl- people claiming people people saying i'm a hater um, of 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 that particular song, and but funny enough, I'm not I'm not I haven't even like a uh, listened to clips that hard. Um, you know, a lot a couple of these uh, I think only I think uh, I've only listened to like one of these projects uh, before before we pick this as a as a subject. Um, so you know, I've, I feel like I'm relatively green on a lot of their music, and um, I came in with some expectations, but but those expectations were subverted. Um, quite interestingly, and uh, I'll be sure to get into that uh, when we get into that. Uh, but yeah, man, 
clips, man. It's freaking clips. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's strap in, bro. Well, Ben, what have yeah. you got for us today? Yeah, well, obviously, Clips are two brothers, Gene Thornton, a.k.a. No Malice, uh, originally Malice, and Terrence Thornton, a.k.a. Pusha T. They were actually born in the Bronx, and they moved to Virginia Beach when Malice was eight years old, which would have made a King Push around three, around three years old. And this was deeply, deeply fortuitous for them, especially Pusha T, not his age, but his location. So I'm going to give a little bit of a history lesson on Virginia. They're comfortably clear of pretty much any state with regards to influencing 2000s in both hip-hop and R&B. And Teddy Riley is a huge part of this. Remember Jay-Z's bar on Drug Dealers Anonymous? My tenure took me through Virginia. Asked Teddy Riley about me. Now, Teddy Riley moved to mm. Virginia from Harlem in the early 90s, and he told Red Bull Music Academy... Um, I had a vision of coming here to start my own music business. My plan of action was to build a studio and a business down there. I wanted to have my own empire. So Teddy Riley would comb talent shows and seek out promising young artists to pull in his ecosystem of musicians to create this Virginia dynasty he envisaged when he first moved down there. And it was through this search he came across the Neptunes. He had, he had this to say about the Neptunes. I think it was Red Bull Academy again. I had in mind what I wanted to do with Chad Farrell and Mike Etheridge. So I started working with them. I worked the most with Chad and Pharrell until they decided they wanted to do their Neptunes project. They came to me with their records, but they had a different sound. They weren't ready for the marketplace. Those guys were so ahead of their time. Their sound was so ahead of their time. So there were certain things that they didn't know if their sound was going to make it that back then, but maybe in the future. That's what the Neptunes were about. They represented the future. And Teddy Riley created the dynasty he set out to do. He helped mentor Knotts and Bink, and he created an environment in which Timbaland and Missy Elliott could thrive. He said this about Missy. He said, Missy Elliott used to come to my studio every day. I was trying to sign Missy when she was still with her group sister. Uh, she was holding up that group, and I told her one day, you better figure it out in a minute. You need to go solo. She didn't listen to me, but later on she did. She saw me one day and said, I did it. Uh, and he says, Teddy Riley says, I'll tell you another person who came to me, but I didn't sign her because I didn't think she was ready back then. It was the brat. The brat was with me first. Once the floodgates opened mm. in Virginia, the talent and the hits kept coming. And that was Teddy Riley, man. He opened that shit up down there. And I remember all this from a Timberland interview I heard way back. Uh, it was on, I'm pretty sure it was on Rap Radar. Uh, he spoke of the vibrant scene in Virginia and how it became a hotbed of musical collaboration and the building blocks for an entirely new era in hip-hop eight to ten years before that era even began. If you think about Timbaland and Pharrell, two of the most influential producers in history, they all began around this time. And I say all this to set the scene for clips to break out of the life that they've become embroiled in and bring mid-90s New York energy to late-90s Virginia. During a wide-ranging Vlad interview, Malice said by the time he turned 15, meaning Push was around 10, they had both entered the life that they would, they would rap about. And Malice said, when we came here from New York, we had two cousins here that basically had this housing project sewn up called Bridal Creek. They grew big at a young age and nobody would ever mess with them. So it was easy for me to go out because my cousins ran everything. After a while, you learn the ropes, so it was kind of easy. Right out of high school, I joined the army. And when I would come back from the army, all my friends would tell me my younger brother was out there a lot. He was running with the guys I was running with when I'd left, except I'd gotten married and joined the army. So it's the same thing with him. That's Terrence. You don't miss mess with him. 
We come from a functional house. It didn't make sense for us to even sell drugs. We didn't have the drug selling story. We did it because we wanted to have the latest fashion, fly kicks. We had all the benefits of drug dealing without the nonsense. Now there's a few things in that. So no malice joined the army because his father would tell him stories of serving in the air force when he was young. And he served for two and a half years. Malice served for two and a half years. And he told MTV, I did it out of a necessity at the time, what I thought would be my best option. I went in and used for used it for what I could get out of it. When I felt like my time was up, I came out. By the time he joined the army at age 18, he was already married with a child and living independently of his parents after they kicked him out of out of home age 15. When he was actually he was literally caught on camera engaging in the very thing he raps about. There was a news camera crew that were trying to document the drug trade in Virginia Beach and Malice was a casualty of their uh, their prying eyes and there's a legendary soundbite from Pusha T in the, I think it's the No Malice documentary. They asked him if he questioned his brother after he left Clips. And he said he never questions his brother. He said, that's my older brother. Why would I ever question him? And I, I say that to set up, like Malice brought Pusha T into the game. He taught him, he cultivated his enthusiasm for the culture and introduced him to the people that would change both of their lives. And when I say the game, I mean hip-hop. And during the Vlad interview, Malice recalls Pusha being really hungry for hip-hop knowledge. And being the older brother, he would turn him onto BDP or The Message. And he said, he told Vlad this, these guys, because they have something to say, it was a message. It was the structure of the lyrics. I would tell my brother what I saw in hip-hop, why I chose this guy over that guy. I always knew that I could rhyme. And in a brilliant article on Vinyl Me Please, written by fucking who else but Jeff Weiss, um, their, uh, their early education is depicted as one being pieced together from outside sources. So the same Virginia that was about to hand them their big break had actually hamstrung their hip-hop knowledge base. This is pre-Spotify, guys. You know, you couldn't just can just pop onto Amazon Music and check out the new Rakim or or pop onto to Twitter and keep up with the Roxanne Wars. That's not how it worked back then. And <laughs> there was actually, um, you know, Timbo, Missy, Knott, Bink, the Neptunes. They were, this was pre, like they, they hadn't created a name for themselves at this point. There was no, there was no vibrant hip hop scene to subscribe to. By the time Pusha T was getting up on Run DMC, people were already onto Rakim. And in that article, uh, they, it writes that they had a friend working in a Harlem record store who would email them, uh, sorry, email them, mail them, snail mail them, not email, snail mail them. Do you know what snail mail is? Go check that out. UTFO, Roxanne Chante, Big Daddy Kane, DJ Red Alert, Early Jay-Z, Large Professor, Cool G Rap, KRS-One, Juice Crew, so that they could stay ahead of the curve. And Malice's passion for hip-hop and his prodigious lyrical ability meant that he was known around the neighborhood for being a rapper but he said he never took it seriously because he felt like fame would elude him he told vlad that he felt like being famous was something that happened to other people it wasn't until he linked up with ddp death jewel productions now this group is fascinating because ddp was a gang and the self-proclaimed leader of the group slash gang told no malice that he knew a producer named timberland and the two should link up and No Malice told Red Bull Academy this first-hand account. Uh, he says, When I knew Timberland, I didn't know Chad or Pharrell yet. Pharrell and Tim knew each other because they went to the same church. Timberland lived behind our childhood home where we used to hustle at and started working with Chad and Pharrell. I thought it could be a possibility. They were always practicing. It was non-stop. So Timberland would make beat, and, and uh, Malice said that Timberland would make beats for the entire gang. Uh, and so Timberland was, you know, his name was DJ Timmy Tim back then. 
And uh, so Malice was rapping on Timbaland beats before he ever rapped on Pharrell beats. And that's a lot of knowledge right there, man. That's fucking a lot of knowledge. And I've seen since Diet Coke dropped, which is Pusha T's most recent single, a lot of people proclaiming Pusha T to be the chosen one simply because of the artist he found himself around, notably Kanye and Pharrell. Don't act like these opportunities just fell into their lap. Don't ever act like Clips didn't do as much for Pharrell as Pharrell did for the Clips in the 90s. No, Malice was out there wheeling and dealing, and he said the next step after the Timberland incident, or Timberland gang slash group, uh, he told Vlad, Timberland got signed, and he was doing the whole thing with Missy and Jodeci. I met Pharrell, and we have mutual friends, and met Chad, and we would go to Chad's house and spit rhymes. They had at the time incredible beats. It wasn't until one time Pusha T wanted to get down. He wrote his first rap ever. It was called A Thief in the Night and he totally crushed it. First rap ever. Seeing as how he didn't like to do a lot of writing and I didn't like to do a a lot of writing, we would split a 16. You write 8, I write 8. Song done. And Malice told uh, uh, the Vadio show, which is a VA radio show, they were freestyling one day in a cipher and Pharrell happened to be there and liked what he heard from Malice. So they connected and began hanging out at Chad's house. And Pusha T would cut school because they had to be out by 3 p.m. That was when Chad's mum came home from work and kicked them out of the home. And Malice said this was early 90s. Pusha T told CNN it was actually Pharrell who had the idea that Malice and Push should be a duo. And uh, Pusha T said Pharrell made the suggestion. You don't like writing three whole verses anyway. It's pretty clear they didn't really like writing rhymes. They just like rapping them. And Malice said in an interview that people used to hate them because they were signed so quickly. But Push's experience, uh, signed by, told by Jeff Weiss, does not match up to this at all. Weiss said that Pusha T would travel to New York and shop his demo to major labels, but no one was biting. Remember that Malice was uh, in the army at this stage. Malice was not always in Virginia. He was in and out of Virginia. And when he came back... Uh, the Neptunes became the linchpin for clips. They wrote for Teddy Riley on Rex and FX's Rump Shaker. And that's the same verse that Pharrell references in Can I Have It Like That when he raps, I sold my first verse and copped that NSX. And they were signed to Teddy Riley, Neptunes, and they began producing for Blackstreet. But Neptunes, and specifically Pharrell, had ambitions of doing exactly what Teddy Riley was doing, which was to create a dynasty, even if it was just an enduring sound. And so Neptune signed officially with Elektra in 97 or 98, depending on who you read and what source it comes from. And the very, 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 very first thing they did was bring clips to the desk of Sylvia Rohn, and she signed them immediately, according to Malice, and the album was begun. And the goal for this album, which was going to be their debut album, was very clear. It was 1999. Neptune's had single... Remember about Neptune's at this stage? They had songs out with MC Light, Mace, ODB, um, but most notably, even more notable than looking at me with Mace, was Super Thug with Nori. You know, we know Nori well on this pod. We talk about him all the time. We know his lyrical palette and his off-kilter flow. He doesn't do pop songs. He does not do pop songs. Nori is not a pop artist, pop rap, not, not at all. And the Neptunes had a whole new type of hit on their hands with Super Thug which is something really only Biggie and Diddy achieved together and then Diddy and Jay-Z, but even that was glitzy, you know? This was this was gritty. And Elektra likely saw dollar signs, you know, the grittiness of clips pairing perfectly with the glitz of the Neptunes to create a whole new mainstream subgenre. They spent three years recording this record. Neptunes on production, clips writing bars, 
and exclusive audio footage is what it is. Uh, did you listen to it, Charlie? Uh, yeah, I gave it a, a, a spin off uh, the good old tube of you. Um, I like the. Uh, I, I think the uh, is is sixty eight minutes, twenty one tracks, twenty two in some uh, places, but I only got into twenty one. So uh, if um, if anybody got with uh, got with uh, part, got caught dealing part two, let me know how it is. Um, but yeah, I didn't mind it. It's it's fine. It's cool. Um, I, I think uh, it kind of. Um, I think it it, it it was what I expected um, when I mentioned earlier, like um, what I expected from listening to Eclipse album. Um, and honestly, I feel it's very unfortunate that this was unreleased. I really do. I feel like um, I don't think many people are uh, aware of this album. I feel like it deserves, you know, um, a... It just deserves more recognition. I think. I think it's a really solid uh, album. Um, I like the, especially the first few tracks. First, uh, kind of like, uh, first third. I really enjoy it. Um, I like the prayer. I like hear me out in uh, power. Uh, you know, breakfast in Cairo with a uh, corrupt Noriega. Um, yeah, some just some really good stuff all around. Honestly, Diana Ross um, is clean as well. Um, yeah, I like I like it, man. It's good. I'm I'm, just, I'm sad that it's um, unreleased, and I'm sad it's just um, you know it's just one of the, it's like a YouTube, a YouTube classic at this point. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a bit unfortunate. Yeah, it is unfortunate, and the story behind it's interesting. Uh, the funeral is cited as their first ever single, but it was actually got caught dealing that they'd identified mm. as the one they wanted to push, and it was even sent to radio stations. The label machine began to whir into action. The CD single still exists out there in the physical world. You can get it off Discogs. The song is actually really good, but it was not right for the first single. I understand that. I always hammer Neptunes. When they don't make a good beat, I call it a Trackmaster song. And this sound like a <laughs> Trackmaster song, man. And, and that's what it was. And it wasn't right for Ben, fit. are you calling Trackmasters bad Neptunes? <laughs> yes. Um, uh, mm. Is that not um, what they are? Ouch. I thought that was the whole thing. I thought that's pretty <laughs> there. I actually think that that was their marketing strategy in the, the late 90s. <laughs> the cut price Neptunes, right? We are BT Neptunes. <laughs> <laughs> but like much much more likely first single was The Funeral. There's actually a video to this song, uh, Malice on Top of a Hearse Going Wild, Pusha T in an oversized suit throwing bars, a man with no teeth cutting shapes. And the, gar- the guitars from that song uh, got caught dealing. They, they, they're on this track. They sit way back in the mix behind really rambunctious horns and a lot of audacity. It's nothing like Lord Willen or Hell Hath No Fury. It's really apparent to me that Pharrell and Chad were learning on the job with clips. And I'll get to why this is sure. so vital for both parties in the early to mid-2000s. But the single didn't strike. Electra paid for the video and pushed it even harder than Got Caught Dealing, but it didn't chart. And that was the end of exclusive audio footage as a viable project. Electra was part of Warner at that time, and Electra was really struggling. They'd been uh, sued by Metallica in the mid-90s <clears throat> to regain control of their masters. And they were, they were, just, they were really struggling. And... Um, Malice told Vlad, Sylvia Rhone signed us to Electra, but the album didn't go anywhere at the time because the hot item were Buster Rhymes and Missy Elliott, and the focus was on them. But I will say on behalf of Sylvia Rhone, she played fair. She didn't keep us around, stuck and signed. She could have done that. She liked our talent and felt we could have go somewhere else and get another deal. And Sylvia Rhone in 2002 in Vibe, she said, often a label might sign an artist too early. 
The clips were signed at a time when they were still developing their direction. Their success is a testament to Pharrell and Chad's commitment and vision. AKA, the album wasn't going to hit and Electra bail before they sunk any further money and time into the duo, which is a fair position for both. You know, it's it worked out fortuitously for both. And, you know, in hindsight, it is easy to discard the record as the wrong direction or chastise Electra for passing on one of the greatest hip-hop duos of all time. But who knows? Mm. You know, if Electra had dropped it and tried to work it, we might have an entirely different clips. Um, I think the opening sure. over the top of those cascading pianos and really dramatic synths with Malice delivering a sermon is really fire. It, uh, it's, it's very reminiscent of, um, or it was kind of foreboding, to uh free i think it's freedom on the start of uh till the casket drops um on their uh their 2009 album it just reminded me a lot of that you know hear me out which pharrell ended up recycling for knock yourself out by jadakiss in 01 i think too often neptunes threw a lot of glitz in the mix of this album and if it had gone out and gone top mm. tif- top 15 we might never have gotten grinding or hell hath no fury you know there was a, it's different it's just a it's a very different sound to not only Lord Willem, but especially Hell Hath No Fury, which is their opus. So, yeah, man, I, I think it's probably good that it didn't come out in the end. I think it's a solid album and it exists. We can hear it. It's kind of like Power of the Dollar. Um, but if Power of the Dollar had come out and, you know, then Get Rich or Die Trying might never have existed. And we get we get Lord Willem in 2002. Uh, yeah, so I love Lord Willem. I, I love this album. I think it's great. Um, I think this is. I think this is um, for one thing. Neptune's nailing it um, in the way they do. Because uh, this is the thing. I feel like listening to um, listening to like Pusha T now, right? And, and you know, in the past decades, for uh, you know, for example, and you hear just like some of the production on that on his solo work, and it's just like, damn. That this is dark as shit, like, and it, man, it makes sense, right? It makes sense why it's so dark and dingy. But then you, <laughs> but then you contrast contrasting it with like with uh, Neptune's uh, producing for clips is just fascinating to me because, like, it's <laughs> it, it comes off as like you said, really glitzy, and you know that's why we like the ne- that's why we like Neptune's. That's why we all like Neptune's. That's why you know they're 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 work they're, they're own work is great it's why you know if you pick out a 10-year stretch of any pro- uh, any producer um neptunes is up there like the shit the shit they've put out uh in this in this kind of area of, of um uh, in these kind of years and decades um it's it, they freaking nail it it's great um but you're past that i feel the, the album itself is great um i really i really enjoy it um you know while i while <laughs> Grind is fat. Grind is hilarious to me. I was I was listening to it today, and I just I just I was just smiling in public. <laughs> I was just smiling in public because it's just so it's so hilarious. Like the beat beat aside, it's just it's just it's just funny. Um, I can't I can't really get over it. And the funny thing is, right, it's not even the best track on this by a freaking mile. Like if you think grinding is the best song on this album i'm I'm sorry you need to listen to it again i feel like even the even the tracks around it literally around it virginia cot damn uh ma don't love her like these are these these are tunes right here right they're glissy but they're tunes um let's talk about it with uh, jermaine dupree gangster lean love that ego uh, fabulous on comedy central 
Um, only thing I was kind of just like, eh, on was just a family freestyle. I was like, eh, I could have done without that. But past that, man, it's great. Uh, <laughs> I just, I really enjoy this album. Uh, honestly, I think it's, uh, I think it's, in my mind, I think it's their best album. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to. Okay, so you're saying oof. So you know, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I just, I really do. Well, I don't want to give away my thoughts on the next album. I'm just like. How is it either or for you lot? I feel I feel like it's a little bit, it's a little bit close. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we'll get to that when we get to it. But uh, Lord sure. Willem, man, after after the Electra deal fell through, the brothers returned to Virginia and waited for their next opportunity. And Pusha T told Jeff Weiss, we never felt defeated at the time. Music was so fun and totally new to me. At the time, we just knew we had to get back in the studio and keep creating. He also told All Hip Hop this, Electra was a time where, honestly, we weren't taking the music business that seriously. We didn't know anything about the game at all. We were on Electra, we shot the video, and then we find out from our management that the label was putting us on the back burner. Um, then he mentions Missy and Buster again. There's obviously, you know, a little bit, uh, I'm not saying resentment, but they, they kind of thought that Buster and Missy were Electra's, uh, and which makes sense. You know, it makes total sense. Both of those artists were proven. Missy had been writing hits since yeah, the yeah. early that's, 90s. Yeah, not... Buster had been on fucking... He'd already been in three movies by the time yeah. his debut <laughs> album came out. He was on yeah, everything. Yeah. Buster was massive. Yeah. And Pusha T uh, told Complex this. He said, People don't understand that after the funeral, we'd already shot a video for Virginia. So in our eyes, we'd already won and we were already platinum. We got some money when we got off Electra. So we got to shoot a video. We were being seen. Yeah, we lost the record deal. But we got some money and we just took it to the street. Pharrell was like, come to the studio. Let's make some more records. Let's make another album. And I was like, okay, whatever. That was the mentality for a while. Listen to that. <laughs> just listen to that, man. Pharrell was like, hey, you know what? You should come make an album with us. And he was like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> Bro, I would have been at the studio before he even called me, banging on the door. Like, Pharrell, can we make another album, please? Let's make another album. Oh, my gosh, man. It just wilds, wilds me out. But in 2002, Vibe claimed that Push and Malice just went back to selling drugs after Electra. They even quoted Pusha T as saying that when he first started dealing drugs, he was scared to do it. But by the time they'd been dumped from Electra, he wasn't scared. He just kind of accepted it as what he would be doing. And the Neptunes was still Clips' life raft. And Pharrell clearly had unfinished business with the duo. It was super apparent he wanted to recreate the fire they'd been involved with in the late 90s and early 2000s for an entire project with an entire duo, with a proper label situation. He was still working the Teddy Teddy Riley blueprint of creating a dynasty. And Neptunes were on actual fire. They were on genuine fire by this stage. Got Your Money by ODB went number 26. Mystical Shake Your Ass went 13. They got Beanie Man in the top 60. But it was the Jay-Z song that sealed it, man. I Just Wanna Love You went number 11. This was the first time the production duo had cracked the top 20 of the Hot 100 since Mace two years prior. But that was with Diddy and Bad Boy behind it at the time. And at that time, we knew that Bad Boy just had to sneeze on a track and it went top 10. She was They had it locked down at that point. Neptune's only got one song on Jay-Z's Dynasty. And it was so good that Jay-Z actually pulled planes down from the sky who were off to record the video for Parking Lot Pimpin' as the first single. The, the cars were in the sky. And Jay-Z was like, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're doing this as the first single. And he threw the weight of Rockefeller and Def Jam behind it. And they ended up, NERD dropped In Search Of, and then they super exploded with Slave For You by Britney Spears. Worldwide super hit. 
Neptunes were, sh- I'm trying to like paint a picture because I was around in the early 2000s. I knew everything was Neptunes back then. Everything I saw on MTV, Channel V, this was all Neptunes. And they were shooting stars and they became the most valuable producers in the game, probably just behind Scott Storch at that, st- at that stage. They still wanted their label situation with Star Trek. And in January 2002, they partnered with Arista who would partially fund their label. And this was separate from their Virgin slash EMI deal under NERD, very complex, but this was their own label. They had their own label, their own piece of the music industry. And there was no other album than Lord Willen to, to release on it. It had to be clips, man. It had to be the duo that Pharrell had told to be a duo back in Chad's mum's house a decade prior. And by now, Pharrell had the formula fucking perfected, man. It wasn't immediate. Uh, Malice told Vlad it took nine months for grinding to properly hit. Pusha T said something similar to Complex. That's not... There's a little bit of hyperbole there because Grindin debuted on the 25th of May on the Hot 100 2002, which was actually the week after it dropped. It didn't peak until October, so five months, not nine months. But, you know, Malice echoes Charlie's sentiments from this pod when he first heard the beat after Pharrell came to him one day and implored him to come to Chad's house to record. He said he had no idea how to rap on it. He said it needed something more. He thought it wasn't finished. He even said... (laughs) He even told, I think he told Vlad, he wouldn't feel confident playing it live again because he just doesn't know where to come in. He said, I don't know what the fuck I was meant to do with that beat. You know, so Malice had no idea. Pusha T T told Complex um, that... uh, Vindication. That Pharrell was even more forceful. He said, you know, you have to come to to record this song immediately. And Lord Willen drops and it, it just it went off, man. Number four on the Billboard 200, which is huge. 122K first week. Review average is 77. Gold certified. And mm-hmm. Like I Love You by Justin Timberlake dropped a month after the album, which was actually still prior to Grind and Peaking on the Hot 100. Once that song came out, it was over. It was a total rap, man. You had you had clips performing at the fucking VMAs. Everyone in Australia and most likely the world outside of the US first heard clips on Like I Love You. Just spitting fucking venom. And number 11 on the Hot 100, that song. Number two in the UK. Top 10 in 10 countries. Pusha T told Complex about Like I Love You. That, that was all Pharrell's doing. Justin liked clips and he was actually working with Pharrell at the time, so it was good. We just laid verses and got busy. That was actually a really big record for us too. That was our first video award performance. I really appreciate Justin for that because trust me, there was a lot of safer people he could have picked to rap on that record. So I just want to thank him for being open-minded and looking at the artistry. Man, they fucking eviscerated that song, man. Like, oh, that verse is so crazy. And, and ironically this was the beginning of the end for clips you know this was their pinnacle but this was the beginning of the end and Mm -hmm. during his vlad interview malice explains that the group was labeled as coke rappers by a very prominent outlet he didn't name the outlet and i didn't go looking for it because i didn't really want to do that i don't know why i just was like i don't really want to give them the shine um but the moniker stuck and whilst it didn't impact him too much at the time it started to kind of take hold within him it was an insidious kind of thing and obviously we know why clips ended it was explicitly the reason he left hip-hop and in the end of malice documentary pharrell said that he knew malice's conscience would hold him back and torture him at times if he felt like he wasn't doing the right thing and pharrell said he could see malice's tension whilst recording not this album but the next album and the one after that 
And I think mm. the enduring legacy of this album is not limited to the musical impact because it sparked a deeper conversation about the glorification and celebration of the life that they were describing. Countless interviews mm. have dragged Malice into these conversations. There was even a documentary where the interviewer drove him to his old neighborhood and tried to get him to admit on camera repeatedly <laughs> that he sold drugs there. I'm serious. Some nerdy loser is like, but you you sold drugs here, Malice. Like, I'm I'm not going to talk about it. But but you did sell drugs like here. Academics would do. I mean, sounds like some Vlad might do. Vibes. Yeah. But yeah, but see. Pusha T has no qualms about this whatsoever. 17.8% of his bars on this album are devoted to this topic, and that would only increase as his career progressed. It's a classic mm. album, and it changed the world, not just for Malice and Pusha T, but for the Neptunes. They showed that they could make an entire cohesive album of brilliant music. So rather than pay them 300k for a single beat, why not pay them 3 million for the whole album? Because they could prove they, prove they could do it now. You know, N.E.R.D. Mm. was not hip-hop. Like, it was alternative rock slash hip-hop like it was it was different you couldn't have a whole NERD album and then use that as like your resume for a Jay-Z album for example but you could fucking use Lord Willen that's for sure but even deeper than all of that you know since Dr. Dre and Diddy in the mid 90s producers were trying their best to package this kind of music street music in such a way that it protected the purity of that message but crossed over to mainstream america you could argue that diddy did it with biggie and mace but nobody else really dr dre did it with g-funk but no one had done it the way the neptunes did it with lord willen no one had done it that consistently yet and once they'd established that sound they expanded the ecosystem to britney spears justin timberlake usher nsync beyonce gwen stefani don't forget holler back girl that would not exist I was, I was, without grinding. I was that in my head. <laughs> Hollaback girl would not exist without grinding. Drop it like it's hot would not exist without grinding. Okay, Jeez. and if you ever like this shit, is bananas. B a n a n a. If you've ever belted that out, you need to go listen to grinding right now. It's your responsibility to do so. And then we get, you know, then we get Hell Hath No Fury in 06. Yeah. Just another, just a like a reaffirmation on kind of the co-crap thing. Like it's so fascinating that you say like push a teaser because especially was so heavy with it. I, I I kind of listened to I was listening to it and I was just like, I I and that's kind of just how powerful I think the Neptune's production was because it was so Neptune's. It didn't feel like co-crap in the in the sense of like you know a uh, a uh, 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 a rock marciano right you know what i mean mm. just, it didn't it didn't come off as that it didn't come off as the co-crap we think of now of like you know griselda and all those people right it it just didn't come off as that um and it's and it's it's the same in my mind to like hell half and fury like i i i think the tracks i'm just like Mr. Me Too, I'm just like, well, that don't sound like there's co-crap in there like it's you know it's like relationship shit if, if anything um I guess dirty money, right? You know that would give off the vibe. Trill, keys open, no. keys open door. Oh. Come on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying, like some of these don't come off with that essence, and overall, it doesn't, it never comes off of that eff- essence to me because of Neptune's production. Um, again, all tracks produced by Neptune's for this album, and yeah, that's just, that's just, it's, it's so weird how that. Um, I, I don't know how that stuck. I mean, there's such this. There are so many instances of that nature where um, you, 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 someone, someone labels this as something, but it's just like it, it may be they may be right, but 
for me, I'm just like, I, I, I didn't get that um, overall. I could get it if I focused on certain things more, probably. But as a passive, in a, in a, with a passive listen, I was just like, yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's not straight up like, you know, Scarface telling the darkest stories of all time or anything. Um, it's not, a, you know, going back to Pusha T solo in the past 10 years or so. It doesn't come off as that. Um, you know, does, does it, none of it comes off as um, if you know, you know kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, that doesn't take away from the fact that there was some. So it's, it's, I just I just find it interesting how someone just uh, managed to make that assumption when on the face, that's probably not the first thing people come come through with. You may get you may get it at some point. You may gather that uh, wrinkle at some point, but it's not like the main wrinkle. It's like having it's like a meal, right? Where you, you like the broccoli, but you, but um, but you didn't recognize the chicken. It's like no, you recognize the chicken first. <laughs> that's the main that's the main part of the meal. You don't look at a plate and you go, oh, broccoli. Like you know, it's not the first thing you look at. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, I don't know, man. I just. I, I, just, I just didn't really sell them overall. Like, um, there's there's just too much inconsistencies for me. Like, it's twelve tracks, and I'd say like four to six of them I rated. Like nightmares, of course, right? Um, keys open doors. Uh, riding around shining. Mum, I'm so sorry. So you know, we got it for cheap. I actually liked it. We got it for cheap. Really enjoyed that one. Um, so yeah, it's like half the album for me. I'm kind of like lukewarm on like Hello New World. I hated the, the hook oh, to that. Hello New World, here we are. Oh, the hook, the hooks, the hook, horrible. Trill didn't like the hook. I just found that very 2000s. That's because you're not Trill not, though. Not, I f- if you were fine, Trill, fine with you, that. I I'm fine. I'm like it. fine. I, I am fine with that, bro. That's cool. Okay. I am. I am. I am resident in the. F- I'm. I'm comfortable in my in my own skin to say, me Charlie Taylor is not Trill. Okay. Ben Carter from Australia, on the other hand, super trill. Trillist, I, I never trillist said I... OG, trillist OG in the in in the ends, right? All right. Tri- I never trillist said OG I was in trill. Sydney, right? I never said I was trill. All right. <laughs> well, you give you're giving out you're giving out trill tokens as if you as if you got it as if you got them all in your in your backpack, all right? I mean, you Chill-off. you would you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love turning it back on you. You just start sweating. It's great. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yeah, just half this album was kind of just lukewarm on. Like, um, it did, it wasn't as consistent for me as um, as um, as Lord Willing as, kin- as keeping it pretty uh, 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 pretty simple um, with it um, in terms of my uh, thoughts on it. Um, but yeah, man, I, just, I, I, don't, I don't know how people were just like got this one or this one. I'm just like. It's clearly Lord Willing for me, but um, no, it's not. Yeah. It's just not. It's clearly Lord Willing. For this me. is the best. This is one of the best hip hop albums ever made. This is um, mm. bro. This is it's a wild album. I mean, by this stage, clips had totally great ascended. reviews. Fuck it up. Yeah, I mean, there's mm. there's reasons for this. There's reasons for why. I'll I'll talk about this in a second, but. Uh, you, you know, you had Pusha T going from guesting on Five O Four Boys tracks to popping off. Eighty nine. He was alongside Khalees, Fab, Wale, John Legend. They went on tour with 50 Cent. Malice told VA Radio that he fully immersed himself in the glitz of the industry, the partying, the girls, the cars, the hedonism. He said he felt he navigated it better than most, but he definitely didn't shy away from it. And despite this newfound zest for opulence, they dove straight back into the studio with the Neptunes to record this album after Lord Willen. And more more label troubles, man, more label troubles. So Arista was struggling under L.A. Reid, allegedly because he wasn't promoting new music. Sorry, allegedly because he was promoting new music rather than old music. Arista was a legacy label. 
but in Jeff Weiss's article, Weiss Weiss, am I saying his name wrong? I I don't know why I'm saying Jeff Weiss. Yeah. Jeff Weiss. Okay. Uh, he talks about La Reed discovering that Grindin. So he La Reed found out that Grindin was doing really strong on urban radio with no promotion, and he actually threatened to fire his staff if they didn't get behind it and push it as far as they could. Apparently, this was a bad look for uh, for La Reed when when uh, you know the, the the legacy acts weren't doing that well. So when BMG, the parent company to Arista, merged with Sony, Clips was cut off from Star Trek. Star Trek ended up at Interscope. Whilst Clips, because of their label deal with Arista, were first forced onto Jive. And they were cut from the man who saw their vision. L.A. Reid was pushing them. L.A. Reid saw it. And they were cut off from the producers who created their entire sound. So Hell Hath No Fury was finished in 04, but was actually indefinitely shelved by Jive. Chris Clips asked to be let go, hoping for the generosity of Sylvia Roan in the late 90s to resurface, but Jive acted more in accordance with shit-tier major label etiquette, obviously, and refused. They're like, well, this is our album, so it's going to stay on the shelf. So Clips sued the label, and Push said, the hardest thing is that it has nothing to do with you. Everything that we went through was out of our control. Music has never really been an issue for, for us, just the politics of the game. The industry is a monster on its own. And Pusha to, told all hip-hop that L.A. Reid understood them and they felt comfortable with him. But Jive were pop music specialists and they had no real idea how to move forward with clips. And, you know, during this sabbatical, they focused on the Reup Gang, which is the four-member group formed in 04, featuring Abliver, Sandman, Push, and Malice. They grabbed Clinton Sparks to help them with We Got It For Cheap mixtape series. They dropped in 04 and 05, and then three times in 08. And the label, they, they created their own label, which was called Reup. And this was the, the label project, the Reup Gang. Now, this new label situa- situation actually helped them work more independently of Jive, and then they reached an agreement to drop Hell Hath No Fury as a joint label situation, similar to how Lord Willem was. You know, Star Trek and Arista, Star Trek, sorry, and Arista. This would be Jive and Reup. So we finally got the album in 2006. 14 on the Billboard 200. 89 review average is massive. Really, really massive. I've been listening to it nonstop for 16 years, and it has never once gotten old to me. Pharrell on here, spitting venom. The beats, if you turn them up loud enough, they will explode the entire world. Like, unbelievable production on here. Pusha T told All Hip Hop this. He said, we, didn't, we couldn't dare come out in the same mind frame as we did on Lord Willen. So now we were mad, angry, and pissed the fuck off. And this was reflected in the lyrical content, the violence, the dismissal, the cynicism. Mr. Me Too is a dismissive anthem. Wamp Wamp is like a call to arms. Mama, I'm so sorry as the second track is basically an apology to everyone for the onslaught that's about to ensue. Some of the greatest bars ever rapped on here. Ever, ever. On Hello New World, Malice ends his verse with, because the judge is saying life like it ain't someone's life. There's just these bars that just sit you sit you down. You just, whoa, like, fuck, man. Like, And the wildest thing is Pusha T said this was actually meant to be Kingdom Come. Pharrell made all these beats for Jay-Z and that album. Can you imagine Kingdom Come over the top of this production? That would have been insane. But, you know, it's not without controversy, this album. Uh, it's alleged that Mr. Me Too was written about uh, Birdman and Lil Wayne. The whole Drake vs. Pusha T beef began way back here, even prior to this album. And, like, I'll talk about that in a second, but 
this album has, has always been special to me. It really has. It was just completely different to anything I'd heard at the time when it came out in 06. And it is actually completely different to just about anything that was coming out around this time anyway. You know, for me, obviously, I was young. I was only 18. I hadn't listened to heaps of hip-hop by that stage. And I thought that this is, you know, probably something that is a pretty standard sound that I'm only just tapping into. It was not. It was not at all. It was It was dark. It was foreboding. But it still had you could dance to it, you know, it, it reminds me like a lot of like Illmatic is kind of like that, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the beats are dark, they're mid nineties boom bap, but you're fucking bopping your head along to them and dancing and kind of like doing a two step. You're like, why am I two stepping to represent right now? It's crazy. And that's how I felt about Hell and Half No Fury. It's, it's just a, it's, it's just such an incredible record. And, um, yeah, man, it started the whole, it started the whole beef with, uh, with Lil Wayne and and Dr. Sorry, Dr. Dre and and Drake in the end, Drake got pulled into it. It actually happened prior to this. Uh, apparently, um, there was a, a a song that Clips produced for for Birdman. I forget the name of that song. Yeah, I find it somewhere. But apparently, Birdman didn't pay them, and so that was sorry. The Neptunes produced for Birdman, and then that was it. Like you know, we we already know what happens with Birdman. He doesn't he doesn't always pay producers what he should and this was all pre mr me too but once that song dropped tensions rose further lil wayne said in an interview um talk to me like you're talking to the best i don't see no fucking clips they had to do a song with us to get hot who the fuck is pharrell did you really respect him that dude wore bapes and you thought he was weird i wore it and y'all thought it was hot and Pusha t actually responded he said if you're gonna kiss men you can't even use them words in conjunction with the clips, Pharrell or any of the Star Trek family. In 07, Push told uh, Push and Mal, sorry, told Laced, you can't rap like Jay-Z, dress like the clips, become a coke dealer after five albums, and now dress like Jim Jones. You can't do all that and be a legend. And on uh, We Got It For Cheap Volume 3 in 08, Pusha raps, sorry, but I don't respect who you're applauding little dude flow but his metaphors boring don't make me turn daddy's little girl to orphan that would mean i'd have to kill baby like abortion like so it got fucking nasty man it got really really nasty and you know this is at this stage is where the beef leaves the clips and embroils push a t so i'm not going to continue to talk about it but um yeah man it's just fucking hell hath no fury jesus what a I'm surprised you don't like it as much as Lord Willen. I'm I'm a bit surprised at that. <sighs> you know, I, I just I don't know, man. It's, this is it's, um. Is it too Ferrelli? Yeah. Is it too mid two thousandsy? Is it too? It's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 more it's more about just the my taste towards that time period. And funny enough, if you want to get into the next album, it gets worse. For oh me. <laughs> yeah, this one's a rough one, bro. <laughs> It's just um, yeah, it just it just gets to that point. Like it, I I just feel it coming. You know what I mean? I didn't even listen. To, I I listened to this, and then I listened to the third album. And I was just like, this is it. This is the. I was waiting for this. I was waiting for this kind of fucking album. I was just like, how the hell did we get here, bro? How did we get here? Uh, I I I just put my thoughts out there. I just, uh, it, you know, it it just um, oh, Jesus Christ. I I. I just, Mm, god damn like the the, the last like it, it gets worse and worse like you know i can i can get behind stuff like popular demand right i can get behind kind of like a big deal right you know with kanye you got camera on there right i can get behind it 
And then you get something with like all eyes on me with Kerry Hilson, champion, footsteps, counselling. Fuck's sake. Oh, counselling. I, I need to I needed to look up the lyrics genuinely to that particular song, right? Because because I, I, I thought they were saying one thing when it was actually another thing. <laughs> and it really threw me off. For like two for like two of the hooks, I was just like, excuse me? Okay, I know I heard I heard that. I heard that wrong. Let me just continue playing. And then I heard it again, I was just like Wait, what? So I had to literally look it up, and uh, it just, it just really, it just really jarred me. Here we go, with Nicole Hurst. There you go, right? Here we go. Uh, images in my head, steady, uh, steady hounding. Uh, God, I need counselling. I don't know why, but it just came. Like, initially, it sounded like jism in my hand, and I was like, "Why are we talking about cum in your hand, bro?" So yeah, uh, it it just, it just got worse um, as as I, as as it is, yeah. And that, and that's not that's nothing to do with them. That's just how it came out in my head. Probably came out in came out to nobody else in that fashion. Uh, no nobody else thought that except me, and that's fine. But um, yeah, that was just a point I wanted to throw out. But yeah, man, I just mm, 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 it's just uh yeah, it just gets uh, I mean, like I said with the uh Big Crit album, like I'd rather have it start bad and get better. This starts off fine and just it just it just takes a dive somewhere, uh, somewhere. I, actually, I'm good. I really like I'm good. That's probably my favorite track out of the bunch, and uh, that's probably not saying much. Um, but yeah, that's probably that's probably the only track I'll gen I genuinely would take out of this album happily and put it somewhere else. Um, but yeah, past uh, after that, it just um, yeah, it just got worse for me. Hmm. Yeah. Well. So after this, after Hell Hath New Fury, the group left Jive. Uh, Pusha T has actually been banned from the offices of Jive after Jive. Oh no! Told, yeah. Can't so come Jive, to Jive ever again. Oh, I no, know. Can't set foot. I mean, <laughs> fucking tough break. Yeah, I don't know how he oh, recovered peak. from that. Oh, but how will how, how will he live? <laughs> Apparently, Jive told Clips not to appear on 106 and Park, and Pusha T said he actually blacked out, and he called them with terroristic threats. And uh, they told I Weekly in May 2007 that they were free agents. They signed with Columbia in October 2007. Now, at the time, Rick Rubin was at the helm. And press releases proclaimed the deal included a new Clips album, a new Re-Up Gang album, and solo albums from both Push and Malice. Now, the deal was reported by Billboard as a 50-50 profit-sharing agreement where Clips owns the masters of all Re-Up Gang artists. It was also the end of their exclusive relationship with the Neptunes. Malice told Billboard that they would be working with Timbo, uh, Dame Grease, Pusha T said LES, Blade, Carvin. So we did get the Re-Up Gang album, although oddly that dropped via Kosh. Uh, a bit confusing. I don't really understand what happened with that, um, why it came out on Kosh. It didn't chart, but it was well-received critically. Clips obviously then launched their own clothing line, Play Cloths. Um, Sandman did an interview with All Hip Hop. He kind of blasted it. Pusha T was in the room with him. I it was a bit weird, that one. I, I didn't understand that one. The clothing label actually endured. There was a new collection released in 2014 with a glitzy interview run around it to support it. But we got Till the Casket Drops and uh, final studio album, December 8, 2009, under Re-Up, Star Trek, and Columbia. 46 on the Billboard 200, 31K first week. That's a flop. I'm not going to pretend it's not a flop. 64 review average. That's a flop. 
Uh, despite big talk of the Neptunes not being involved as heavily, they actually produced eight of the 13 tracks. The other producers, yeah, like Sean C and LV, DJ Khalil, uh, Chin in Jetty, kind of like Big Deal features Kanye at his pinnacle, uh, but it didn't really impact the main charts. They hadn't charted on the Hot 100 since Ma I Don't Love Her. Um, back off Lord Willen, and they wouldn't again as a duo until 2019 on Use This Gospel via Kanye and Jesus Is King. It's a weird album, man. In 2009, with Village Voice, they said that Hell Hath No Fury was a bitter commercial disappointment. Now, I'm just trying to set this up here. Village Voice, Pusha T, said that Hell Hath No Fury was a bitter commercial... 14 on Billboard 200. Sorry, that was what Village Voice said. Pusha T agreed, and he said in reply... It feels good, and about this particular album, about Till the Casket Drops, he said, it feels good. I think it feels a lot like the first album. It's not a bunch of drama. It's not a bunch of politics involved as far as getting in the way of our production and our creativity. The chains are off. There's really no delays. I think the good thing about it is how the label is moving with a sense of urgency. And I think you'll find that our spirits are in a better place, especially compared to Hell Hath No Fury. Now, we have to remember that Clips blew up right at the beginning of the blog era, in the mid-2000s. Clips even had a fucking blog. In, they had their own blog in which they responded to a Pitchfork review. Now, that is so 2007. That is ultra 2007. And in the Village Voice interview, they mentioned that Clips played at Pitchfork Fest in Chicago. They were only the second hip-hop act ever to perform at Pitchfork, Pitch, Pitchfork, Pitchfork Fest. That is a tongue tester. Um, Aesop Rock was the first uh, hip-hop act, of course, at Pitchfork Fest. And then uh, Clips was second. They they shared the bill that year with Jizza and Dila and Cadence Weapon, who was actually a Pitchfork writer at one point. Now, people expected them to go left when they went right with Till the Casket Drops. They talk constantly in interviews about the muscle of Columbia being behind them, how much safer they feel. They respond positively to criticism that Hell Hath No Fury wasn't on the radio and didn't do the numbers of their debut. It was kind of like, yeah, but we'll get back there. That was the label's fault. I find it very odd. I find that the, the rhetoric around this album so odd. As soon And Pusha T said, as soon as we got to the label, this is about Columbia, they were like, hey, we don't have street teams and stuff. Okay. What do you have to do to get them? Okay, let's go find him. Every city we go into, we're doing in-stores. They have that street presence that comes along with the music. So they wanted this to do well, but it just didn't do well, man. It just did not do well. It's a mess. It's a total mess, this album. It's just, bro, it's just, it's, it's a, it's, yes. Yeah, I don't know what to say. It's just a mess. The first track is incredible, and it kind of, basically says that this is kind of going to be the end of clips you know they, they're coming at it from completely different you know Pusha T is kind of celebrating himself and celebrating his his content and then Malice is talking about his conscience and how he doesn't feel comfortable with the content it's it's very intense and in 2010 I'll talk about the breakup now at a concert Malice made the announcement they'd be dropping solo albums later that year Pusha T told MTV he had signed a good music and obviously he was on Runaway uh, in 2011, they still weren't broken up by 2011, remember? In 2011, we got Malice's book, Wretched, Pitiful, Poor, Blind, and Naked, which is an autobiography about his life and his conversion to Christianity. Uh, and that was sealed when he changed his stage name to No Malice. There's an article in on DJ Booth from 2016 entitled, Clips Broke Up Because No Malice Couldn't Handle Pressure from the Feds. 
Now, in 2009, Clips' manager, Anthony Gonzalez, was sentenced to 32 years in jail for trafficking charges. Malice told Hip Hop DX, that story, it runs deep. They were picking up all of our friends at different times. I had a friend, he just had a baby. He's wheelchairing his wife who's holding the baby while coming out of the hospital and bam, they got him. I have another friend, he's driving on the interstate with his girl and his daughter in the car and the police come, crash their car into his and make him pull over. They were coming for everybody. There was a whole bunch of stuff happening. We didn't know what who was going to get picked up next. They were kicking in doors and making mummers and wives get on the floor. It was just crazy. Now, Clips was so huge at this time that they were even interviewed by CNN about the breakup. And Pusha T told the show, I came to him and I was like, man, I got these ideas. I got these beats I want you to check out. Malice was like, I'm not doing another Clips album right now. Wow. Now, that was hard. That was hard. And then the interviewer said, he picked Jesus over you. And Pusha T said, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Now, Push said they got 30 offers to do a 10th anniversary show of Lord Willing, and Malice turned down every one of them. Pusha T said he knew that it was over then. And Malice said this, Some people call it a come-to-Jesus moment, but this is a real transformation. When I think about my infidelities out on the run being a married man, when I think about the heartbreak that I caused my wife, that I caused myself, when I think about her forgiveness, how the word of God repaired us and nothing else, when I think about that, to me it's a no-brainer. I can't return to that lifestyle in any kind of way. I don't have a choice. Now, Pusha T actually told Vice uh, Autobiographies, the show Autobiographies, about the night they broke up. And this is the night they broke up. We were on tour. I was in my room and he just came in my room and gave me this book that he wrote. I was like, wow, okay, now you wrote a book. In my mind, I'm just thinking, you're my older brother. You know I can't write no book. You're just trying to stun on me once again or do something you know I can't do. And he was like, yo, this is what I'm about to dial into and this is what I want to do. This is how I feel and I want you to read it. And, and you want to be a solo artist anyway, so you should probably pursue that. I was like, wow, okay. Of course I didn't think it was real. Never thought it was real. We still have more shows to do. We got off the tour and he was quiet and I was just doing my thing a little bit. We just had it all mapped out. The offers were so good and so many were coming in and he was 100% not doing it. I used to be so upset. I felt like me and my brother could do whatever we wanted to do in the rap game, really just have it our way. But then I realized he's not in the same place anymore. He had a family. He had other things going on that he had to answer for. He was so into his convictions and where he stood that when he told me no after I gave him all the breakdowns and specs about everything, there was nothing I could say. Now, during his VA radio spot, Malice speaks evocatively and with emotion when detailing his Christian faith and how he felt really uncomfortable performing coke rap. He says this blatantly and without any hesitation, he was uncomfortable with glorifying the life that had seen so many of his friends, family, and community dead or in jail. He said it was super confronting to know that people might have been influenced to pursue that lifestyle because of Clip's work, and he calls his previous life a mistake one that he's working on atoning for and learning from and teaching others about. And that's it. And you know what? I've thought so much about this. I've thought, you know, I'm I'm not a religious person and I kind of balk at the idea of organized religion a little bit. I think that it, I don't agree with it all the time. I don't agree with the way that, you know, people act when they're part of it. I, I think it can be a bit of groupthink. I think it can manipulate people and coerce people. But when I listen to Malice talk, I understand him. And, and he talks with such emotion and such power. I, can, I, I could never criticize him for the decision he made. I could never criticize. I know that a lot of people do. And I know a lot of people clowned Mace for leaving hip-hop and, and moving into faith. Why? 
why? What's wrong with it? I don't see what's wrong with it at all. I don't get the criticism at all. And and I've thought a lot about Malice's decision and I just don't understand the criticism of it. I, I can understand people want money, but there's so much money. There's way more to life than money, guys. Seriously, when you get your head out of that fucking bucket of slop and look up at the world, there's a lot of other shit going on out there. And we don't get we don't get anything from clips until 2019 on the Kanye track. You know, there's a couple of 2010 features, likely recorded pre-2010, but literally nothing from 2011 to 2018. And that's it. That's the clips. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Not your best ended, but okay. I have more, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to re- I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to that. I didn't want to just diatribe the whole thing. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, you know, I yeah, I'm I'm not I I don't find any beef towards his decision at all. Um, it's not it's not like I mean, like you said with Lord William, that was kind of like their peak if anything. Obviously, they didn't know that at the time. But retrospectively, we know that was the peak. So at that point, I'm just like, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, sure, like, you know, it's not, it's not. Oh, why, 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 why stay in it if you, if you, if your heart's not in it? You know what I mean? So I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, it's no, it's no, it's no beef. Um, no beef about that at all. Okay, geez, that was abrupt. Yeah, no, I, I understand. I think, um, <laughs> just with my. <laughs> Just to, to end it, I think it's it's a really fascinating journey. You know, the emotions that Pusha T must have felt when his, his big brother, the person that brought him into both games that would change his life, denounced both of them and moved to distance himself from the defining quality of Pusha T's style. You got to remember that. You know, I've done whole, I literally was going to print shirts with like Pusha T's like statistics of how often he raps about this because it's such a meme now it's such a thing you know Mm. and his big brother the one that brought him into everything denounced it and you know there was the money that left on was left on the table Pusha T said one show offered 800k for a single show too often in hip-hop I think we dismiss the emotion and fixate on the superficial you know I was listening to Good Life by Kanye and then gonna be okay by Lil B back to back the other day and it struck me how vastly different they are because Kanye was traversing the superficial keeping vulnerability at bay and fixating on sex and consumerism as ways for us to escape but Lil B grabbed hold of the vulnerability and embraced it and immersed himself in it and I think a lot of people will see Pusha T's post clip success and assume that he feels nothing untoward whatsoever about the breakdown of clips because he just continued to get better and better and better and explode into the strategy but clips was family Pusha's whole existence in this game came from malice and his interviews about the the breakup are very emotional and clips bridge more than one gap you know they did bring coke rap to the living rooms of people who have probably never heard of crack you know who probably think that cocaine is $300 a bag and snorted by footballers and lawyers on Friday nights after work they, they also make coke rap trendy enough to pop up on a fucking pitchfork festival. You know, they infiltrated the burgeoning internet culture and lived on the hard drive of pretty much, I would imagine, every white male teenager who spoke English and yearned to be cool. I mean, that's how I found them. I wanted to be fucking cool. I wanted to listen to clips. I wanted Not that I wanted to sell drugs or I was uh, attracted to the voyeurism, but clips were cool. They, would ju- they just had this, like this genuine coolness about them like you kind of felt like oh man i know something that other people don't know which is ironic because that's everyone knew about it through that because they thought they knew something that no one else knew 
But, you know, they also helped Pharrell make more money than we could even fathom. They gave the gift of a brand new aesthetic to hip-hop and a brand new avenue to success. Snoop Dogg could release Drop It Like It's Hot, and this is the thing about it. He popped up at number 39 on Pitchfork's end-of-year list with that song, but they gave his album a 2.1 out of 10. Like, it's just so jarring. Gwen Stefani could drop Hollaback Girl and go number one on the Hot 100. Now, whether that's good or bad, you can be the judge. But it certainly made a shitload of people a shitload of money. And their enduring legacy is far deeper and far more impactful than I knew before going into this episode. Would you say that they're trill, Ben? I mean, I can't. That's not for me to say. Like, it's give not the, for me. To, do you want to give two, them a step of approval? Two thousand and six nerdy loser Ben. You could have asked that and got a different answer because I was a loser. <laughs> but thirty-three year old Ben is too old for that shit, man. Like, cause it's, yeah. One one question I have before we finish, and I totally forgot to say this at the beginning, but I've been mean to ask. Do you, did you ever get tripped up of like their their, their individual voices? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, thank you. I was yeah. tripping. I was just like, "Fuck!" They sound they're the same they're sometimes. Insanely similar. Like, their 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 voices are insanely similar sometimes. Similar. It's re. I have to try so hard to like gather wh- who's who, like on on certain songs. Like it's it's crazy, bro. It's like, only it's because of, only because of Pusha T's solo career that I could go back and yeah, confidently literally, say, "Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is it helps why a lot. this is who <laughs> it this is." Yeah. And especially later down the line where he starts going, yeah. No. So, like, I was like, ah, there, there he is, there he is, there he is, right there, yeah. right there, there he is. So yeah, I was just like, I, I thought I was tripping. I was just like, why am I struggling here? Like <laughs> trying to decipher who's who. Am I going crazy? Okay, fair enough. Okay. Nah, as long fair. as I'm not the only one. As long as I'm not the only one. All right, cool. We shall finish there and uh, hop into a line if you have one, Ben. Ah, uh, not this week. Do you have anything? <sighs> Oh, here we go. What? I love the sigh. The sigh means we're about to go. It's no, kind of like that little a, Wayne that lighter that flick. A, that's the that's the no, little that Wayne a... lighter flick, Charlie. <laughs> oh shit! Oh shit! Here we go. Nah, that was more of a which one, what what things pissing me off that I want to talk about kind of thing. I, I, it was like which which one to pick kind of thing. Fuck! You got a um, you got a smorgasbord of of frustration. I've and... got choices. I've got choices. I don't know. I feel like um, the Olympics just finished, um, the, the day we're recording, and I'm just really just deflated about it all, like even more so than logically most people should be, because every time I watched it, and it wasn't as much as I'd like, right? I didn't watch much, um, as much as I like, but every time I watched it, there was just some like BS going on, and the only thing that wasn't any BS for me for me, because I didn't watch, like, because, you know, it, yeah, obviously the ice, ice dancing had a lot of bullshit um, with, like, a, one of the uh, Russian uh, uh, um, uh, youths, literally a youth, like, 15 years old, was uh, called doping, but she was allowed to continue. Uh, I watched, like, Ski Cross, which I fucking love, like, Ski Cross, Snowball Cross, like, watching them just race is, is, is I don't know, it's just really enjoyable. But even with that, like, I watched one race, I think it was, like, a big final, a medal final, and uh, one of them like stuck their leg out a little bit, like just got knocked off balance. But they instead like uh, gave uh, downgraded her bronze to nothing and gave the fourth place to finish the third. And I was just like, why? Why am I watching this? Like, if I if if 
if everything I watch on the Olympics is just apart, the only thing that wasn't bullshit was the curling. Shout out to the yeah, GB uh, men and curling. women. Yeah, shout out to the GB men and women who got the gold and silver. Big ups to them lot. Um, really enjoyable, funny enough. I, I don't know why curling is so enjoyable, but it really is. Um, but yeah, apart from that, bro, like, I was just like, damn, there's always something about these sports, bro. Like, it's, it's crazy. Like, I just, I just, I can't. I can never get into Winter Olympics that hard because there's always like some r- stupid ass judging. Like any of the snowball competitions, go look it up. And like there's there's some, uh, especially the trick ones, like um, slope style and big air. Um, not big, yeah, slope style, big air. Um, I think half pipe got some bi- got some heat as well. Like all of the judging was just wrong. And I was just like, well, why are we doing this then? Like, and who, what judges are you getting? Where, where is the IOC getting these judges? Just get the people to do X Games to do the slope style. It doesn't matter. Like, it really doesn't. I don't care. As long as the right person gets the right gets the medal, then I'm I'm not beefing. Like, but they just so they're so fucking. They make everything so hard to enjoy. I love the Olympics, but it's so hard to enjoy it, man. The cognitive dissonance has to be on, like, turned up to fucking 200, bro. Like, you really have to turn up the cognitive dissonance to just to just enjoy it. You really do. But I couldn't get into it. Like, I, every time I watched Science, I was just like, oh, great. No, there's some, some other crap going on. So, I, just, I don't know. It was, it, was, it was really disappointing. I think it was probably, like, a, it, the only thing that saved it literally was the Conan for me. Most of, most of other things I watched were kind of just, like, Either just um, whacked over by um, uh, by ruling, uh, or just, just like none of the professionals rated it. And the fact that it was, and uh, you know, this is kind of like a uh, I'll I'll do this as well as a minor plug. I started um I started a new bonus thingy on what's good recently, uh, where I do a long read. Um, so basically just reading long long ass articles, right, and just reading them. Um, I did one on twenty. I did one on the Winter Olympics and and just how China got it, and it's just it's just jarring, bro. It's just tiresome. It really is tiresome. I don't, I just don't know like how long it could go for, but like I, it's and it's a thing. I think overall, if I zoom out, I think it's a thing with a lot of sports now. Like I I really don't feel like watching the World Cup next year. I really don't want to. Um, I probably will because. It's the it's the World Cup. Like I, there's you can't li- some countries you just can't escape it. Like if you live in England, you just you're not you're not gonna escape the World Cup. Okay, my boys are gonna be like, yeah, come around watch the World Cup. I'm just be like, fine, fuck it. It's reason to drink. Why not? So you know you can't escape it. But I just I just don't feel energized for that. Um, you know, uh, athletics sometimes pisses me off. Um, but like that's more about the you know the world body if anything. If like the fact they're doing. Uh, they did the world championships in Doha two years ago, and there were people celebrating their medals with nobody in the stadium, and it was just like, why are we here? We know why we're here, but why are we here? So yeah, I'm just sick of it, honestly. Like, there's um, I'm, I'm, there's less an F1 now, bro. There's less and less sports I'm starting to enjoy. Like, honestly, darts might be the only thing like I'm actually that I could actually watch and be and have no guilt about. Just watching, just over slightly overweight to to maybe obese men uh, throwing darts. That, that that might be it, bro. That might be the only thing I can watch with no uh, uh, cognitive dissonance and just actually just like it. Like honestly, I, I don't know why sports is just jarring me recently. 
because you are discovering that capitalism is a scourge of society and seeing how <laughs> you know, it affects it, every aspect of the things that we love. Do you know, do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a time, uh, like a three-year period uh, in, my, in, my, in my youth. Uh, well, in my, in my, from like 60, no, not even that. From like 18 to like 21. The years before that, I was like, a life, a genuine life goal for me was like, I want to move to America. I, I want to move to America. Like, because, because think about it. Think about it. Right. When you're, when you're 10 years old, uh, me anyway, I was indoctrinated, bro, with everything good about America. Hip hop, uh, just pimp my ride. <laughs> you wanted to have your ride pimped. <laughs> pimp, pimp my ride. Like just all the all the good American shit that like you know that we just fuck with because it's just it's just entertaining, right? Um, all of the children, sh- anything Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, that was me, bro. I was inject me with that shit, inject inject me with everything SpongeBob, everything Fairly Old Parents, everything fucking I don't know Drake and Josh even, right? Even that kind of shit, right? But then I started watching some documentaries and then I actually started looking at the news and I'm just like, oh no. Oh, this is, oh, raw, this is, oh, America's shit tier. Like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Like over a three year period during like my young adulthood, I was just like, oh my gosh, America's actually shit tier. Wow. Um, Okay. (laughs) Just the realize, just the slow realization and the slow like, uh, breaking down of bricks, like literally, was that? It was just like a slow, slow wall breakage where you just like look look past it and you're like, oh no, you know, it's like it's like um, I'm I'm getting bogged down in metaphors, but it's like um, it's like the uh the Wiley Coyote uh, Looney Tunes thing where like it is a is is a tunnel there and then you just run into it and it's like, oh, it's America. Yeah, you uh, you fall down the stairs and you go bankrupt. It's <laughs> crazy over so, there. So yeah, so there. Take that line of how how you will. Sports I mean, in general is a is a you know is a capitalist um, you know cesspool. To me, America it just seems is like a capitalist cesspool. Exactly. And Looney Tunes is a honestly. And here's another. Here's a hot take, and I'll finish here. Um, there has cartoons peaked at Looney Tunes. I generally think that. When was Looney Tunes? Like the fifties, <laughs> bro. No, they did not. They were mad yes, racist. They yes, they did. They were super peaked in the fifties. Super racist in the fifties, bro. Yes, I, I, I am fully, re- I am fully, I'm fully aware. I am fully aware. There was a cartoon I had on VHS. Uh, I think his, I think the name was Inky, and it was oh, literally God. just about this super dark skinned, like, you know, proper caricature, caricature bullshit. Uh, we were literally talking about characters before we started. Um, like, uh, yeah, just super dark skinned, like kid with like a bone in its nose, all of that shit, right? And all it, it literally, you know, it was it was literally like um, it was literally Wiley Coyote Roadrunner kind kind of vibes, but instead he was chasing a crow, and I was just like, fuck, <laughs> I wish I had that VHS still. You ain't seen that shit on Disney Plus, my guy. <laughs> you ain't seen that on Disney Plus. Mm. But classic Looney Tunes, the not the not racist stuff. Peaked. No cartoon better. No cartoon better. Nah. First... Watching, watching, watching Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, uh, 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 try and convince Elmer Fudd that it's either duck season or rabbit season. 
peaked. Peaked. Nothing better. First eight season two to season ten Simpsons. That's it, man. That's that's the peak. Why Don't not, get better than why that. Not season one for just for nah. Season one's not that sake. great. I mean, it's good, but like it's too wholesome. It gets darker. Do you, know what piss, do you know what pisses me off about Simpsons is the fact that it peaked before I was born, and now it's so ubiquitous. I'm just oh, I just can't. I just I find it so overrated because it 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 it, it peaked before I was born. I can't like it. I just can't. Every every all the episodes I watch, I was just like, that's cool, it's fine. I don't see the hype. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's just weird. It's just weird. You probably like, you probably came in post season twelve, and there's some mess. Well, ninety six. So yeah, take that what you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. after season ten. It's a um, mess after that, man. It's it, it just gets worse and worse and worse, and I don't understand how it continues onwards. It doesn't. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, season two to season eight, season ten. Sorry, that's uh. That's Fair peak, enough. man. That's some peak. That's a, that's a whole personality trait. Quoting Simpsons. <laughs> you literally like the amount of the amount of podcasts that like when they try and quote Simpsons, I'm, just, I'm it just goes right over my head. All of it. All it's of it. It's like the whole the Jay Z thing. There's a there's a Jay Z quote for everything. There's a Simpsons quote for everything. There's a, there's a, if there's a, there's a Jay Z iceberg around, and I guarantee you, like I could probably get to like you, you could probably get into like the depths, like the darkest depths of, uh, of the jay-z iceberg i might be able to get in the middle simpsons surface level for me surface level who shot mr burns like that's mr plow like that's that's a furthest i go, <laughs> I go that name again is mr plow can't get couldn't even sing it couldn't even sing it if you, if you, you put are it fully bonded and licensed track, by the state aren't you dad shut up boy <laughs> can't do it can't do it right on that note well take take that like that was the most varied light note we've ever done uh, take all of that what the you will. Curling to <laughs> curling to Jay Z to the Simpsons. You, you tied it back in with the iceberg thing. That was well yeah. played. Started at the Winter Olympics, ended on icebergs. Hey, yeah, ice, um, uh, snow, which Beijing gets uh, six days of per year on average, and which clips rapped about. Ah, oh, the oh, levels oh, of this, this episode. This is, best, this is a top five lighter note, ladies and gentlemen. We shall leave it there for the Fifth End Podcast Network. This has been Grinding in Digits. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've been Charlie Taylor Fifth End. I've been uh, Ben Carter, the guy who got reposted by Kanye West. I'm surprised you didn't start off the episode with that. And I'm surprised I'm you not, didn't have to do that for a light note either. I totally I'm forgot not, you did that. I'm, but, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not really fucking with Kanye at the moment, so I, I didn't really care that much. But mm. oh, Fair enough. Uh, yeah, hope you all have a good week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I stop. Hope you have a good week. We should always try and do the same, but until next time, take it easy. Alright, peace. Digging the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show was edited by me. Music for the show. Please mid games by bonus points. Thanks to Chill Records for a bit to use. Socials for Fulfillment, Hip Hop by Numbers, Bonus Points and Chill Records will be in the full show notes, as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a Fulfillment Podcast Network production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time. Digging in the digits. <laughs>